Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. This podcast is brought to you by Enum Berlin, the innovation network for advanced materials. Bringing together the brightest minds in material science, visit us at enum.berlin. Today on our very first episode of Startup the Science, we are talking to Marcin Ratajak. I hope I said that right. He is the CEO and founder of Inuru, and he is also on the board of directors at Enum. Hi, thanks for joining us today. We're very happy to have you on our podcast. Um, so why don't we start with a bit of a background story on your startup? Do you want to tell us what you guys do? Yes. So what we basically do is uh, we print light. We are a company that uh, has developed inks that allow you to replace the inks in a standard type of printer that you might, for example, have on your office desk and uh, print light effects instead of color. And the technology that we are printing just to close the thing is organic light emitting diets. So it's the same technology that you use today in TV and lighting applications. And our goal is to go out basically from the packaging industry and adapt this material to TVs, uh, lighting applications, and then open a tremendously big market. Okay. That all sounds very interesting. Um, and what specific applications are you working on now? Is there something very exciting that you're working on that you want to tell us about? Yes, definitely. So, <laughs> is there like a Valentine's card that you produced recently? Or? <laughs> oh, oh, indeed, there was a Valentine's card. And I even know some people in this room who have one. <laughs> what? Who? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so basically what we're doing right now is um, what, you, what you have to understand is the development cycle for this advanced material stuff. So it's pretty long. It takes a tremendous amount of effort to get the materials on the quality you want to have them. So we decided to figure out in a very like early stage, what can we do to start to make money, right? To build a real business. And we decided that our materials, they don't live as long as to be adapted on a TV, where they have to live like 40,000 hours, but they live 200 hours. So we could basically utilize them in print stuff, like greeting cards, packaging, and... Advertising, exactly. And packaging is our big thing right now. So we are producing most of the time illuminated packaging and labels like we did before Christmas for Coca-Cola, where we have created a bottle that lights up once you take it into the hand. That's very cool. And what what's coming next? So obviously you have to make money. That's perfectly understandable, which is why you do advertising and printed things on Valentine's Day cards. Um, but what, what's the future plan for these materials and for this technology? So the future plan for these materials is really going from today, where we only have a light effect, so you have a packaging that can light up, to displaying a video directly on a packaging. Ooh. So imagine... Like a Harry Potter situation. Exactly, the Harry Potter type of situation. And then transfer this type of technology to the TV production so that you can basically produce an OLED TV mm-hmm. 100 times cheaper than it's produced today. Okay, why is it cheaper for, for people that maybe don't understand this technology so well? So, if we talk about OLED TVs, that's the technology that you have today in the store mm-hmm. that is so super thin and that is uh, like uh, this super colorful and you have this cool black, you know. Um, the production of these things, you need like tremendous 
CapEx investment, so infrastructure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if the Koreans build a new TV manufacturing thing or the Chinese, they invest $42 billion. Wow. And the, that's, let's say, it is necessary because these are like vacuum processes. So you have like big chambers where you pump out the air, then you take materials inside them. Mm-hmm. You have to heat the materials until they start to evaporate. So you're basically burning and wasting a lot of materials. It's an expensive process. Okay. But once you have the CapEx, it's working. And our stuff basically turns the whole stuff around. So we have inks that you take into a printer and you basically print the inks where you want them. And you can print them under normal atmosphere. This is where we have the patents on top of that. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole CapEx stuff drops away. So, so you take them away from the, from the costs. And on the other hand side, we took like super cheap new materials because in the beginning we had this MVP in mind. Yeah? And the MVP is a packaging application. And packaging is officially not allowed to cost that much. right? Mm-hmm. So we were focused very strongly on the price from the very beginning. And that's exactly where we have our edge. So we have mm-hmm. inks that are air-stable, thus can be scalable with a normal type of printer, which reduces the CapEx investment by 400 times and in, in the end the price by 100 times. That's a huge reduction cost. <laughs> um, I was wondering if we could backtrack a bit and maybe you can tell us how you got to this. Um, is this the first business you started or have you tried other things before that didn't work out or what's your history in the startup world? Can you please tell the sushi story? The sushi story? <laughs> yeah, so we can, we, we, can, we can get with the sushi story, but this is, <laughs> if we start with the sushi story, that, that's basically the start of Inuru, yeah? We, we, we can, we can okay. start with that if this is okay. Yeah. yeah? So the origin of Inuru is basically a collage of many unfortunate events in life. Not and fortunate, unfortunate? Unfortunate, unfortunate events <laughs> in life um, where especially me and, and Patrick, or Patrick and me. Were, Patrick is your co-founder. Exactly, is my co-founder. We were super dissatisfied with our lives. Um, just, just to give you an, an insight, so Patrick, he was a physicist, so he was sitting in a university and uh, he were just fed up with sitting in the labs and doing science for the rest of the life because it is just, it's not this romantic type of Einstein thing that you read in the books <laughs> and you think, okay, I'm going to invent and change the world. Like science today is tough business, right? Mm. And then he saw that and he was just like disillusioned, heart-shaped glasses, broken, bam. <laughs> and on the other hand side, uh, me, from my perspective, I was an MBA and uh, I was... Um, Already having my own first company, which was a cleaning business, together with my father. We've been leading it. It was pretty good. It was going up to 120 employees. And then there came the financial crisis in 2009. And all of a sudden, it was like shattered on the ground. Uh, so we've been super strongly adapted. And I was still finishing my studies in the same time. I woke up on the Easter morning in 2009. So it's, it's actually 10 years ago, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And uh, I realized that, you know, Doing services, because we had a cleaning business, doing services is not something that I can do for my life. Mm. And because everybody can do that. And the reason why everybody could do that is that the German government, basically, they, they, they changed the way how you could open a, a cleaning business. Before it that... It was easier? Or? It was easier. Okay. So before that, you had to have a license to open a cleaning business because there was chemistry inside. You had to make sure that the people were all the stuff and you could only do this if you were working 10 years in the industry or you made your master's degree in that thing. 
And my father, he was working 10 years as every Polish person in Germany in, in, in this cleaning industry, so we could open it up ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they shared this, and at the same time, they introduced the uh, minimum wages thing, okay. which in the end led to the part that if you wanted to be lower than the minimum wage, you could open up a company and enslave yourself. And that's what all the like, you know, people that were flowing to the market were doing. And we as a company, we had to pay the right wages. So I saw like the situation was like really fucked up. It was difficult for us, basically. <laughs> Am I not allowed to say that? I'm not sure. I think we'll leave it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> so that's that was basically the situation. And on the other hand side, I was always like super in love with technology. So I understood, you know, service industry, something that everybody can do is not the right mm -hmm. thing to go. Mm -hmm. And technology is the thing that I would like to do. Okay. So my, that was my background. Patrick sitting in the lab, not satisfied. One and day... You, you guys were friends already? Or you knew each other already? That's a great question. We knew each other from high school. And after we have finished high school, we still kept in touch and met once in a while. And he knew what I was doing with the business. And it was, I think, 2011, he called me. He called me up and he said, let's do business. <laughs> and he had an idea that, 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 was, that was pretty cool because they built, uh, they, they bought in the university a measurement device, mm -hmm. I think for something like 50K. And he says, I know that the integrants inside there are only worth $500. We could rebuild that. It was the first idea. And I thought, great, he's coming like heaven sent. We can, <laughs> I can do finally technology. He, I was heaven sent for him because he could do business. But I made the math for the business and the business was like, we would maybe sell 200 of these type of machines and Worldwide. the market would be done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the, like 200 was super optimistic, like, you know. Right. <laughs> so uh, I told him, Patrick, this will not work. And, uh, but the cool thing is, what, what, what exactly are you measuring right now with that? And he says, yeah, I'm measuring organic devices. Yeah, you could do like OLEDs with that. And back then was like 2011, I heard all that from like, you know, from, from mm. prospects and you had it in some first phones. And I looked it up, I was like, wow, you could do flexible light and display with it. That's amazing. Mm. I was like blown away. I still remember the email I was writing uh, in the evening after I drank two beers to this guy. So we, <laughs> have to, we have to get away from this idea of building these machines, but doing this. Because we could do like, we could do, we could replace paper and put mm -hmm. a display inside of it and you know and create basically a wasteless society if we get there mm -hmm. because you you can stop printing you can just stream all the content and you can reuse and reuse the stuff all the time again of course it was difficult to do that thing they were like oh it's too difficult because samsung and lg they're already working on that and you know this typical like rational approach everybody was saying it's not possible mm -hmm. so we searched for mvps and now comes the story and with the sushi spot that was in, and it was also April, it was, I think it was April or the, the 30th of, of March 2012. Okay. We've been sitting in a sushi spot and he came directly from, from, from a printed electronics show with all this bag of goodies and we tried to like brainstorm what we can do. And while we were scanning the menu, you always have this Japanese, Chinese type of koi drawings, you know, of these fishes on the carts yeah. and, and sushi spots. And we thought that if the fish would swim over the paper, <laughs> it would be like super pleasant to the eye, sure. although it makes no sense, right? <laughs> and it was like the, the first idea. And, 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 and then I thought, okay, Patrick, you know what? But we have to recharge this card, this menu. If we take it for advertisement, mm. it was increase the visibility of advertisement like boom. And uh, we just looked at each other and we felt a little shiver down the spines and we know, okay, we have to do that. <laughs> we have to do that. And, and we went out of the sushi spot and it was like, from there, we went all only thinking about 
the future we would look like with this Blade Runner type of posters on the wall that you know move each other, and you have like I don't know the, the Kurt Cobain you know <laughs> Nevermind poster where the baby's floating after a swimming you know buck note. It was just flashing us. We were like on LSD, but only in our fantasy. Right. And this was like Natural really LSD. like the, the Big Bang that was like you know motivating us to to, to keep on cool. doing that. Yeah, that's that's the origin basically. That's very cool. And so because you mentioned that earlier, why aren't large companies doing this? Why aren't companies like, I don't know, like Sony, for example, why aren't they coming up with this exact thing? What can startups like Inura bring to the table that these large companies wouldn't have access to? If I'm thinking about that, I think there's two factors. So the first factor is path dependency. It's, it's a concept that is, you can observe it in nature and you can observe it in social systems. Mm -hmm. So once you start to do something in a certain type of way and it works, you are more probable to stay in the same path instead of changing it. So basically, the, the, the OLED got developed by evaporation. And to evaporate an OLED is a super complex process. So just to really acknowledge what they have done, these companies like LG and Samsung, it's a tremendous effort and it's a big like, you know, achievement even for, for, for humanity to get this thing on the level they have it today. Mm -hmm. Because it's a super efficient technology, it's a super green technology compared to what we have today. And to get it there was super difficult. And they have the capex to do so. So they're basically betting on horses that are working. Right. Why should you change a running system if you can do make money with what you have today? Sure. And uh, I think once you're inside this track, it's difficult to, 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 to get on another track. They are... 100% working on that field, mm -hmm. but if you work with a big team, you have to coordinate. Mm -hmm. And in the field of advanced materials and what we are basically doing, I think the biggest issue is that you have to know many things at once. So if I'm looking, for example, at Patrick, he's a physicist by education, but uh, what he's really working on is how you can take the molecules and put them into solutions. So that's chemistry. Mm -hmm. But the solutions, they have to have a functionality, they have to get out of a printing hat and then form a film after they are printed, which has a functionality. And this functionality, to achieve it in the process, it's a process management, it's an engineering. Mm -hmm. And in order to make sure that this, this functionality is there, he has to know how the materials react after they get on the layer, it's physics again. Yeah. So you are always jumping in between these different disciplines and the same thing goes for the business on our side. What we are doing, I mean, I'm a business guy, basically, who's in love with tech, but I have developed the whole tech around the product itself. I have uh, understood how the physics works and then how the psychology works. And uh, I have to do all the marketing and, you know, and also talk B2B and do some politics. So I think you have to like focus so many talents or let's say functionalities in one group that it's difficult to mimic this in a big structure. Mm -hmm. Now imagine a big company and they have like all this functionalities as Patrick has right now. So he's chemist, physicist, and they have it separate. And everybody's working on separate things. So mm -hmm. they have to communicate with each other. They're all working on, on tracks, they have to communicate. The communication in big teams is super difficult. Okay. So I think that by being small and being focused on what you're doing, you have a speed advantage. And uh, with speed come mistakes, but where you make lots of mistakes, you have lots of luck. And that's the way how you can, in my opinion, you know, just push through. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think a lot of people, well, I would have thought as well that if you have a larger team and more money, more resources, you can hire all of those people that you might need 
to fulfill the different roles that maybe just one person in a startup can fulfill, right? But what you're saying is it's actually more of an advantage to have fewer people and do things faster. Yes, no? and, I, and I must really say that we've been like in a super critical issue as we started the company. So nobody wanted to invest into us. Mm. We, we moved basically out of Saxony. There was a big, a big, big state fund and they, 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 the way how they invested, it was really, it was easier to get their investment than like of a typical VC because mm -hmm. The agenda was to help like tech companies, mm -hmm. and we moved out of Saxony because we needed uh, we needed space which we could not find anywhere else. We found in Berlin, and there was no VC, no like a state fund like the HTGF who wanted to invest into us because we were basically too early for them. And uh, back then, I always thought, oh, it's so difficult because we don't have the money. If we would have had more money, we'd do the right thing. But today, I'm saying no. If I would receive back then one million, I would invest in the wrong things because. You have to get more creative when you have less money. If you don't have money, you think twice what is really important for mm -hmm. you. It's like being poor. Yeah. If, if you're heard. poor, you think twice what I buy myself today, cigarette, I go to the cinema, or you know, I buy myself something to eat. Yes. That's the thing. You and, have and to make the right decision, you can't. Exactly. The bootstrapping phase is basically the most important phase of a startup. I think it's, 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 just, it's a phase that also defines your success in many things. So being poor gives you some focus. Yes, it does. what you need to do first. It does. I mean, it sounds, maybe it sounds brutal because yeah, yeah. that's a capitalist thought. In the end, you have to also pay your people less to, to like make them work more efficient, mm -hmm. to make them understand what's, what's important. But uh, for us, it worked. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm believing, but that's just my opinion, that I have seen many companies who received a tremendous amount of money and have just thrown it out on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Because they were still in this chaos phase they didn't exactly knew what works what not and you just over focus your budget on something like yeah. this and that's a huge risk and i'm seeing it every day I, I, today we are a little bit better off financially but i have to like every day get back to myself to i'm really spending the money on the right thing mm -hmm. because today i can't spend less some days i could not okay so maybe tell us when we can expect in order to produce uh, things like harry potter newspapers where we can not just read the news but see videos mm -hmm. on paper I'm joking, but what is what is the future of of technology of, of the kind that Inura is making and when can we expect it to dramatically change our lives? That's exactly the question I, I cannot answer <laughs> because, because uh, of, of course uh, our, our plan, how we want to get there is, is, is uh, you know, it, it's, it's part of the, of the, of the company know-how, how we want to do that. The only thing I can say is that uh, we are on a pretty good track to show exactly this video type of content on paper. And we are on a pretty good track to prove that our materials can be utilized in long-time TV applications. And so we hope to start communication in this year to really show what we are capable about. And are there a lot of other startups doing similar things? I mean, in Berlin, there are a million startups. How many of them would you think? Maybe, not a, maybe a million is not a precise number, but there are a lot of startups. How many of them would you think are doing similar things? And worldwide, what's the competition for you? So we basically, we see companies that try to go on the same market. So mm -hmm. I think we, we managed to create with Anuru a hype for having a packaging that can light up. When we started five years ago, we called the companies, the companies, they said like, okay, you, you guys crazy. You call me like when you're sane or call me when you're ready in 10 years. And, and today the companies, they, they, they show a demand. And if you have competitors, they usually utilize existing technology. Because they tried to, they had the same idea like also five or ten years ago, but they use LEDs. 
So you put an mm -hmm. LED inside of a packaging and then it, you can also light up a thing, but you can't light up an area. And the thing is, you can also you cannot also scale. So they went basically for the quick buck because mm -hmm. you can buy an LED in China for one cent and then position them maybe on a substrate and make it super cheap. But in the end, it's dirty. It's a dirty process. It's a, in the end, it's a more dirty technology, not environmentally friendly. And there are some companies doing that. Okay, so it looks the same, but the process behind it is very, very different. And the costs for, well, and the production costs are, are cheap, right? But it's the, not the, very green. The production costs are cheap and it's, it's not entirely looks the same. It, it just, uh, it's from the first instance, it looks similar. But in the end, you have a thicker product. You have mm -hmm. uh, not a nice lighting and uh, you don't have a scalable business model. So meaning okay. that you can maybe produce thousands of these. But if you talk about the packaging industry, they have produced billions and trillions of packages. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, most of the brands are interested, how can I get this technology and incorporate them really into my brand, let's say my, my whole brand structure and brand presentation for a long time mm -hmm. and make it not only affordable, but also not exclude any customers from, from buying my product. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's an important part. And, and this is exactly where we started to work on a technology five years ago. So we went super slow. Yeah. I remember that uh, all the people that in the beginning were supporting us, they were pushing, said, you have to slow, it will take years until you come onto the market. And we said, yes, it will. But if we don't go that way, we will have no IP, no corporate value. So we really focused on what helps us in the future to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. Instead of building, let's say, a company that would be based on projects and in the end, maybe just, you know, make some millions or at best, but maybe hundred thousands and become maybe a technology agency. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do that. We, we always had a bigger vision behind that. And so this is a side question to the advertising packaging side, but I think intuitively you would think, right, if you had a package of a product, I don't know, a carton of milk or something, and the cow on the milk carton can move around and dance, that that is more attractive than a static image, what we're used to now. And you've already had some first experiences with that, but does it work or... I mean, how, how well does this new type of packaging and advertising work, considering that now more and more people are trying to stay away from, from advertising overall, that they don't want it to invade their lives? I think we have to distinguish here between the digital type of advertising, which uh -huh. is really annoying us, which is popping out every time that you want to consume something and it comes like a, a slap to your face, first read me. Yes. Because if you look at, a, at an advertising in a magazine, I still remember I was reading magazines. I loved it, actually. I, I was scamming through it, and I had the time to watch the advertisement. I, I looked at the design. Oh, is it a nice picture? Is it not a nice picture? It was some type of aesthetics. Yes. The, the new type of advertisement, they don't have it anymore. They, it's like TV commercials. They sometimes slap directly and in the best cliffhanger moment where you actually want to know what's going on, right? And there's always an instant call to action to buy something. Exactly. Something, yeah. and, and, and we have seen this, like, uh, the first time, I think, like, five years ago, we've seen that, especially the, the, the younger generation, so not even Y, but already Z, they, uh, they are fed of this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And they desire more and more physical products, more premium appeals, but they want to see something, they want to touch something but they don't want to miss the functionality that they basically have from the internet. Mm -hmm. So if I have a packaging, what I would like to do is I would like to see the information about the price and then whether it's a good product, maybe directly on the product. Maybe I'm a silver surfer and, and I, I want to make you know the size bigger because I cannot read what's on the on side of mm -hmm. the packaging. So I think this is an additional functionality that works. And if you look about the marketing effect by itself, 
That's pretty easy. So the human brain works based on a limbic system. So everything that is moving is basically considered a potential threat. So we have an additional attention spam. It's, it's proven. So when they introduced the, the video bender rollers to, to soccer, right? They had like 20% more retention rates because it was just moving. Mm -hmm. Although everything is moving in soccer and you're just focusing on the game, so you all eight bits are focused on the game, you still could, you know, remember the advertisement 20 times percent more. Mm -hmm. And this is how the advertisement basically works. It's the whole effect behind that. Yeah. Okay, I'll change topics a bit. And I'll go back to what you were talking, what you were saying earlier about how you guys started and how Patrick, for example, was a scientist like in a, his lab and a bit disillusioned with the science world. And um, so we might have, hopefully, lots of scientists listening to us and maybe they have some interesting ideas that could be businesses or products but are not yet. Um, so what would you what would you say to these to these guys? What would you advise them? Should they try to go down the startup route? Is it satisfying? Or should they perhaps try to see try to continue their research? And hopefully you will say, no, they should build a startup. And then why, why is that? Why is that a good idea? I think one has to be clear that having a good idea, no matter how brilliant it is, it doesn't make you a good entrepreneur. I, I really think that being the type of person that wakes up and works 16 hours a day and really, you know, makes work his life is, is, is a type of disease or virus <laughs> which you just get bored with. Mm. Uh, I had the opportunity to work at a big corporate and it, it would be a, a stellar career, career. And I, first of all, I, be, before we found it in Nuru, just, just right before the sushi type of thing, it was like two days before they offered me a job and I would be like the VP of logistics for a big German company. It would be amazing. Uh, I said yes in the first place. In the second place, I woke up in the morning for, for the next days with a pain in my stomach because I knew how my life would look like. Mm. And that's not me. I, I'm not that operational type of thing who does the same things over and over again. I want to have something new every day. I want to have a challenge every day. I want to grow by myself. And that's the type of person I am. And I understood this in the same moment. And luckily, some days later, we had the idea for Inura. So I had something to do because <laughs> I, always, I would be maybe an artist or unemployed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think you have to first of all know that you're the type of person. You want to do mm -hmm. something with your life. And then when you are aware that you really want to work your ass off for your vision for, for basically what you can provide to, to, to the world, then do it. Then go down this road because it's an amazing road. It's a roller coaster. You feel you, you, alive every day. Most of the time you fall down. Sometimes you go up. I mean, I can just only encourage people. But if you're a scientist, what I would do is what I always see, and this is the common mistake in scientists, they think that they can understand business easily, right? Mm. Because there's something like a common understanding that studying physics or chemistry is so hard. If I do business, it's easy. Studying business is just learning by heart. It's not. That's true. And we had, you might know who I'm talking about, but we were uh, working with a startup during the last accelerator program we did. And during one of the presentations, one of the scientists said, oh, we don't even need marketing. We don't, customers come to us. We don't even need to market. And I think that was a very interesting moment to see how scientists sometimes think of things like business or marketing. I think it's not even necessary because the technology is so strong. We don't need to do anything about it. And that's a very, I would say, common mistake. Even if the technology is strong, you still have to get people to find out about it. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it's great that they had this type of technology. I, I always witnessed, witnessed this. But then it comes exactly the point where there's somebody who is as smart as they are 
And because once you have something in science, you always have to know that there's not only one person working at the same time. It's a, it's a complex system where all mm. the people have a similar type of ideas. So there's somebody coming and he's hiring a business guy and then they're outsmarting them. Mm. They're then getting better than that. There are some people, of course, who have this intuition for business. They are scientists. They can do business in the same way like, like, like others do, you know, for business who have learned this from scratch. I, for my person, I think I have a certain type of intuition for tech because when, when my people speak to me, I understand what they're saying. Yeah. I can translate them into business language. But uh, I would never do for myself the whole tech part by myself. It's quite hard to have all of the skills. Exactly. The tech skills. That's the, the thing. Skills. And I think that's, that, that's the, this thing. I mean, I think in Germany and Europe, we're laughing about the American type of culture, like this humble thing. Huh? But, but this is something that the, the Americans embrace and it's something that always has its origins in religion. To, to be sure that, you know, stay humble and, you know, don't think you can do everything. Try to, like, work together with people and, you know, mm. and have a success for all the people. I think that's, that's necessary. So coming back to your example, I think if they would have hired a marketing guy or somebody who... <laughs> I think like, they have now. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but they would like, you know, even be more successful. Yeah. And why not sharing if you have success and, you know, make something that works really fine and really well instead of doing everything by yourself? I guess one final question, if people would like to get in touch with you, if they have more questions about anything you said or your technology, how can, how can they reach you? Sure. I mean, um, the best thing or the easiest thing would be you put down my email below that podcast we'll and they that. can directly write to me. And uh, if I can help and I have the time, I'm happy to do so. Great. And do you want to quickly um, present your website just in case people want to see it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> it's uh, inuru.com, I-N-U-R-U.com. Perfect. We'll also add the link in our description. And... Yeah, thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. See you next time. I hope. <laughs> <laughs>